The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at CloroxHealthCare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. And thank you for joining us today on CDIP Sports and More Global Broadcasting Network. We would like to thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making the show possible. Our guest today will be Dr. David Cook, Executive Vice President of Research and Development and Chief Scientific Officer, and Dr. Michelle Truxis, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer, both of Service Therapeutics Incorporated. Here to discuss ecobiotics, a novel approach to recurrent C. difficile infections. At this time, I would like to introduce our first guest, Dr. David Cook. Uh, thank you, Dr. Cook, for joining us today, and we welcome you to the show. Thanks, Nancy, for the chance to talk about the exciting programs at Serious Therapeutics and hopefully to reach out to your audience about this exciting new area of, of medicine and science. Absolutely. We are so excited to have you both here today, and we're not going to waste any time. I'm going to jump right in and ask you about the microbiome, which seems to be in the news media all the time now, and the number of scientific publications that continue to climb. Can you tell our audience some basic information about the characteristic features of the human microbiome in states of health? Sure, Nancy. First of all, much of what we know about the healthy human microbiome comes from studies sponsored by the National Institutes of Health. Some years ago, they formed a, a very large program called the Human Microbiome Project. What we learned from that is that the human microbiome, in particular the gut microbiome, is one of the most dense ecologies on the earth. What I mean by that uh, if you think about the microbiome much like you would a, a forest or a coral reef, it's a combination of many different organisms that exist in competition and cooperation. That's really what we, how we think about the microbiome in humans. What we know about the gut microbiome in particular is that it's composed of two to 500 organisms in each, uh, in each of us, and in fact that the composition varies significantly from person to person. Um, we also learned that the microbiome of humans is quite different from other species, other organisms, and in fact, that points to a very deep co-evolution between the microbes that inhabit us and, uh, and the human itself. So that we actually start thinking about the microbiome and the person as a single organism, whereas the microbiome as an organ system uh, that's critical for human health. Um, <clears throat> what we know about the, that functional organ is that it participates in a number of important health functions it helps us to digest food, 
It's critical for our metabolism. It regulates the immune system. And, and in some of the cases of dysbiosis or unhealthy microbiome, we actually can have immune uh, diseases. And it's also critically important for resisting invasion and colonization by pathogens, such as C. difficile. Um, we also learned from the HMP that the microbiome varies significantly from person to person. So the microbes that inhabit my GI tract are likely very different or from the microbes that inhabit your GI tract and, and all of our listeners, of course. Um, that variability is, uh, however, balanced by the fact that as long as we have a healthy microbiome, that many of the functions of the microbiome are conserved from individual to individual. Um, the factors that shape the microbiome can include uh, your mother. We, we get much of our microbes at birth from our mother. But more importantly, in, in the long run, uh, the composition of the microbiome depends on diet. It depends on our environmental con context and even the state of our immune system. So, for instance, states of inflammation can change the microbiome. So that, that inner subject variability ends up being key when we think about how to make drugs to uh, protect against C. difficile and other important diseases. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Cook, for sharing that important information with our listeners today. Very interesting and, and all new to all of us. And which brings us to another topic, um, a leading one, too, is um, we know that antibiotics are the leading risk factor for a CDI. Uh, and can you explain the impact of antibiotics on a microbiome and how that would affect the person's risk for infection? Sure. Um, it's a great question. So as we all know, and as you said, um, when you take antibiotics, you actually change the microbiome. How do you change it? Well, you change that diversity and competitive balance between the organisms. And more importantly, at a molecular level, you release nutrients that actually allow a pathogen such as C. diff to survive. And so C. difficile colonizes in the presence of that disrupted ecology uh, and, and where an ecological niche is created. Um, that then further drives an imbalance um, in the normal structure of the bacterial communities uh, that, that leads to an overabundance of C. diff and the infection that we know as CDI. Okay, and Dr. Cook, once the diagnosis of CDI is made, patients are prescribed standard of care antibiotics like vancomycin, for example, which targets C. difficile. However, however, we know that there's a significant proportion of patients that have a recurrence of a C. difficile infection, and some patients have multiple reoccurrences. Why does that happen? Yeah, it's, it's a very good question. One of the things that's long been observed in, in medicine is that each round of CDI leads to a higher rate of recurrence. Uh, for instance, your primary infection, you have about one in four chance of recurring, but by the time you've had multiple recurrences, that the probability of recurrence goes to 60% or higher. The question is, why is that? Well, the antibiotics that we use to suppress C. diff uh, actually accentuate the dysbiosis or the unhealthy state of the microbiome. We also know that many patients, while you can suppress C. diff, they actually continue to carry it after resolution of their symptoms. So approximately 60% of patients, you can actually detect C. diff weeks after the completion of antibiotics, and, and that dysbiosis can last a long time. So in fact, while some patients reoccur with the same original strain that they had, about 40% uh, 
get reinfected with a new strain. That's because this, the antibiotics continue this state of, unhealthy, of an unhealthy microbiome. So while we use antibiotics to suppress C. diff, it actually doesn't treat the underlying symptoms, which are the dysbiosis that allows C. difficile to, in, to cause an initial infection. Uh, amazing. So, okay, and once a patient um, with recurrent C. diff infection has dysbiosis, can the microbiome recover? Yeah, um, that's a, a great question. It's really uh, an area of active exploration. And in fact, I think the clinical trial that Dr. Truxis is going to talk about later will definitively answer that question. It, it's interesting that the big antibiotic companies have not thus far uh, studied this carefully but the limited amount of data that's out there is that antibiotics can have very long-lasting effects that in some people can last for months. We do, though, know that uh, fecal transplant, which has been used as a proof of concept, um, can actually restore diversity. Uh, so there are ways to actually manipulate the microbiome to get it back to a state of health. Um, but we do also believe that there are, there's a need for safer and better characterized therapies than minimally processed human stool. What we're doing at Ceres is developing a product called Ser 109, which is an ecology of purified spores that's being developed under FDA regulation. Currently, it's in uh, clinical trials being tested to prevent recurrence of CDI in patients who have had multiple recurrences after antibiotic treatment. One of the things we found is that while we're giving a limited ecology and a limited number of organisms, these organisms actually take hold in the GI tract of patients. They replicate and they provide a scaffold around which a healthy microbiome can regrow. And so we believe that by providing these critical organisms in spore form, we're actually enabling a, a healthy microbiome to regrow so that we develop resistance to pathogens like C. difficile so we don't see recurrence. Okay, so does the concept of dysbiosis apply to other diseases stayed in addition to C. difficile infection? You know, uh, it's a great question. And with the explosion in research, there are many correlations between uh, disease states and what we see in the microbiome. The really important thing is to find causality. And <clears throat> the diseases where beyond C. diff where there's real good causal information, one is other infections. It's clear that dysbiosis can lead to um, the presence of drug-resistant infections. There's now emerging data using fecal transplant that you can actually uh, effectively treat patients with active ulcerative colitis. Um, beyond that, there are some indications that in states of metabolic disorders like obesity and diabetes, that not only does um, dysbiosis underlie the disease, but it's actually treatable by changing the microbiome. So, we believe that the potential future of these uh, therapies is actually uh, very significant, and we're looking into our, in our research into treating other diseases with microbiome-based therapeutics. In fact, we have a, uh, an ulcerative colitis study that's now in a phase 1B study at 20 centers in, in the United States. We think it's a really interesting opportunity to test directly whether an oral microbiome therapeutic can alter the course of disease in patients with active ulcerative colitis. And we're excited to uh, see the results of this trial when it's completed. 
amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Cook. And we're going to take uh, take a pause and have a moment now for a commercial break. And when we return, we will continue our discussion with our guest from Saris Therapeutics Incorporated discussing ecobiotics, a noble approach to recurrent C. difficile infections. Stay tuned and we'll be right back. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 1-844-4C-DIFF. 1-844-367-2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. Dips, Spores, and More, and we welcome our listeners joining us today. We will continue discussing ecobiotics, a noble approach to recurring C. difficile infections, with our guest from Saris Therapeutics Incorporated. It is our pleasure to introduce to you Dr. David Cook, Executive Vice President of Research and Development and Chief Scientific Officer. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Cook. Thank you, Nancy. You're welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us. And we look forward to um, continuing this discussion. And maybe you can explain to our listeners um, the contrast, how SCR 109 differs from a fecal microbiota transplant, also known as an FMT, in composition. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> briefly in the last segment, I described the fact that SCR 109 is a spore product derived from the stool of healthy uh, fecal donors. In contrast, FMT involves taking fresh stool from a donor, adding a buffer, and making a slurry in a blender. Uh, That preparation is often done on an open lab bench uh, or in a microbiology laboratory of a hospital alongside patient samples. This slurry is then loaded into large syringes that can connect to devices such as a colonoscope or tubes that potentially can uh, deliver the fecal transfer transplant into your stomach or intestines. Uh, 
So this type of fresh preparation requires a lot of coordination because you have to actually get a donor uh, available at just the right time for the procedure that is being done on the patient. More recently, uh, there's data showing that stools from donors that are frozen for future use can be used, and that simplifies the logistics of stool transplant. This requires, however, adding preservatives to the slurry before freezing because we need to keep the bacteria alive until the stool is used for treatment. These preservatives not only protect healthy bacteria, but potentially also keep alive any unwanted pathogens that weren't picked up by donor testing days or weeks before at the time of the stool donation. In contrast, SIR-109 is, is a manufactured product that takes donor stool and treats it to kill off all the unwanted bacteria, fungi, and viruses, and then we purify out the spores that we want. <clears throat> the purified spores are, are gotten into a state such that they are formulated into four capsules that can be simply swallowed. This means that we're only giving the fraction of stool that we believe is necessary to achieve a clinical response. That's wonderful. And Dr. Cook, can you explain to our listeners why you selected a purified spore fraction for use in SER 109? Sure. Um, well, when we started series therapeutics, we obviously looked at the scientific literature to try to understand which bacteria might be most promising to cure recurrent C. diff. Our microbiologists hit upon the observation that ecologies of bacteria which normally form spores in the gut were particularly active against C. diff when we tested them in a Petri dish or in mouse experiments. Once we made that observation, we sought a way to rapidly test the spore former hypothesis in humans. And the most straightforward way to do that was to isolate the actual spore form of these bacteria from other bacteria that are found in stool and use those purified spores as a therapeutic drug. Spores, interestingly, are one of nature's most hardy life forms. They can survive the vacuum of space and the radiation of space travel. You can isolate them from 2,000-year-old mummies, and they're still viable. Because they are highly stable and resistant to stomach acid, they can be readily used in an oral capsule or a tablet that can be made consistently to assure the potency and purity of the dose. What is really remarkable about this approach is that we have found that we can, only use, we can use only one ten-thousandth of the total amount of bacteria that would normally be found in an FMT. That's pretty amazing, and it supports the idea that spore formers could be key to fixing this disease. Well, thank you so much for the scientific explanation of that. That's really helpful. And Dr. Cook, how are your donors selected? Well, um, we are very selective when it comes to our donors. It, it's in some ways a bit unnerving to know that there are no established formal requirements for qualifying FMT donors, despite what some would have you believe. It's a bit of a wild west where each center might have a different protocol. At Ceres, a prospective donor has to pass screening questions, examinations, and laboratory tests that go, that's go, goes what's be, pardon me that goes beyond what's been done for blood donors. We put donor candidates through a gauntlet of questions about their medical history to make certain that they don't have any underlying diseases or risks. We add questions about gut health and the risks of gastrointestinal disease to the normal human blood donor questionnaire as an added measure of safety. For example, donors are prohibited from travel to areas of the world where diarrheal diseases are common. We also give donors a thorough physical exam 
to ensure that they're healthy. Again, this is, goes beyond what's done when you walk into a blood drive to donate blood. We also perform comprehensive laboratory tests on, on the donor's stool, blood, and urine to make sure they're healthy and don't carry diseases. This testing far exceeds that required for blood banks or even tissue donations. Then we repeat all the screening and tests on the donors over time to make sure that they remain healthy during the time when they're giving donations. Only a couple of percent of donor candidates pass through all these screenings. Despite the steps we take to select donors, the SIR-109 manufacturing process is also intended to remove unwanted pathogens that might otherwise go undetected, particularly new diseases that aren't known at the time of screening. In this day and age, we're all aware of emerging infections that suddenly become a household word after they dominate the news headlines out of nowhere. Exactly. And Dr. Cook, how does SIR-109 differ from probiotics? You know, this is a great question. It's one we get all the time. It turns out that if you look at the diversity of bacteria in the gut, the kinds of bacteria that are found in over-the-counter probiotics only contain a, no, a narrow slice of the total diversity of bacteria in a healthy human. In fact, most of these organisms aren't even permanent residents of your gut. Uh, you get them in, by diet that may contain dairy products or other fermented foods, and ultimately these organisms go away quickly if you stop taking them. In contrast, SIR-109 contains a large number of natural resident gut organisms, and, they are, and, it, and the product is widely diverse. Over the years, literally hundreds of clinical trials have been done to try and demonstrate the efficacy of probiotic products against disease, including C. diff. But despite years of clinical experiments, Neither the FDA nor European agencies have approved any medical claims for prebiotic, probiotics. And, and probiotics are not recommended in major treatment guidelines for C. diff disease. And it's really not for want of trying. They just haven't been effective in randomized controlled clinical studies. Right. And we understand that it's, um, it, there's still research going on in that area. And so, Dr. Cook, how do the manufacturing and regulatory processes related to SIR-109 mitigate against patient risk? The process for making SIR-109 removes unwanted bacteria and other microbes. We also test the product to show the absence of non-spore organisms. This reduces the risks of transmitting infectious diseases to a level that cannot be achieved with FMT, which relies on donor screening alone. We also think the patient risk should be lowered by administering only a tiny fraction of the donor stool that is necessary to achieve a clinical response. This is a very different approach compared to whole stool for FMT. In contrast to the environment that's used for making FMT, we produce SIR-109 in manufacturing facilities that are designed for the handling of spores and other gut bacteria. These laboratories have special features and are operated carefully to keep out undesirable contaminants. To operate this way requires expertise and significant investment of resources, as you can imagine, uh, to ensure that you're making what you say you're making and the keep, keeping the product pure and your patients safe. We also test the product extensively in a quality control laboratory to ensure that it conforms to specifications for identity, purity, potency, and stability. We operate both the manufacturing and the quality control labs according to FDA rules regarding the safe manufacture of pharmaceuticals. These rules are also known as Good Manufacturing Practices, or GMP. These require extensive record-keeping 
and checks and balances on the operations by an independent quality assurance group as required by FDA. In contrast, FMT is not produced under GMP practices, but can be given to patients with recurrent CDI as long as there is a documented patient consent since since FMT is not FDA approved. Exactly. And Dr. Cook, we thank you so much for, you know, sharing all this important, interesting information with our listeners today. And we are going to take a brief uh, commercial break. Uh, When we return, we will continue discussing ecobiotics, a noble approach to recurrency difficile infections with our guests from Saras Therapeutics Incorporated. So please stay tuned and we'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Join us on September 20th in Atlanta, Georgia for the 4th Annual International Raising C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo. Visit the C. diff Foundation website at cdifffoundation.org for event details or contact the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 for additional information. Again, the website is cdifffoundation.org. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff spores and more, and we thank our listeners for joining us today. We would like to welcome our next guest, Dr. Michelle Truxis, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of Ceres Therapeutics Incorporated. Welcome to the show, Dr. Truxis. Thanks, Nancy. Uh, thank you so much for inviting us to come and, and speak to your audience. It's really pretty exciting. Well, thank you. We're really excited to have you know you here today also, and we're learning so much, and this is such an important topic, and we're really appreciating you being here. Um, at, at this time, I, I won't waste any time. I just want to jump in and say um, I understand that the results of your first study, the CER-109, in patients with mul- multiply with multiple recurrency difficile infections was just published along with editorial commentary in the Journal of Infectious Disease. Can you review the results with our audience? 
Absolutely, Nancy. I would ha- be happy to tell your audience about those results. So this study, this is the first study, as you mentioned, is an open-label study of 30 patients who entered the study with their third or greater C. diff episode in the past 12 months. They have been successfully treated with standard of care antibiotics for C. diff, and the patients were between 18 and 90 years of age. Our primary endpoint in this study was prevention of recurrent C. diff infection during the eight weeks following dosing with SEER 109. And C. diff recurrence in our study was defined as greater than three unformed bowel movements in 24 hours plus a positive C. diff stool test. And of those initial 30 patients enrolled, 26 or 86.7% achieved the primary endpoint. That is, they had no C. diff positive diarrhea in the eight-week period following dosing. And this really contrasts with the expected results you have with antibiotics alone, where prevention of further recurrence occurs only in about 30 to 40% of patients. And of the four patients that did not meet that initial primary endpoint, three actually didn't require antibiotic treatment for their C. diff-positive diarrhea because by the time they saw the study investigator, their diarrhea was resolving, and so they were considered to have clinical resolution of their recurrent C. diff condition. And they went on at eight weeks to have no C. diff in their stool. So if you think about it overall, 29 of the 30 patients then had no C. diff recurrence that would have required further antibiotic treatment in the eight weeks following dosing. And that's 96% of the patients in the study. And that is... um, Isn't that amazing? I was just going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for saying that. So I was just going to mention some of the other things we looked at in the study. I think you heard from uh, Dr. Cook that the healthy microbiome is really our best defense against C. diff infection. So in our study, we collected samples from all of our patients, both before they were dosed with C. diff and after they were dosed with um, yeah, before they were dosed with SEER 109 and after they were dosed with SEER 109. And what we found was that the microbiome in C. diff patients at the baseline, so before treatment, is dysbiotic, and that's characterized by a low microbial diversity. But following treatment, the changes we observed were that the diversity increased significantly. And those changes in the microbiome of patients in our study occurred as early as four days after dosing and remained changed. That is, they moved towards a healthy microbiome for as long as we followed them, and we followed them for 24 weeks. And what we saw was engraftment, that is colonization, from the organisms that are contained within the SEER 109 dose and also augmentation or additional colonization from other bacteria that are not included in SEER 109 but are part of the healthy microbiome 
that likely comes from the environment, food, or were present in very low quantities in the patients. So it was a pretty remarkable result. And if we looked at safety in that study, the most common adverse events were mild to moderate diarrhea, nausea, or abdominal pain, which occurred in about 30 to 40% of our patients, but was really short-lived. So it was a very transient um, adverse events. And these are the types of symptoms that are similar to that reported following FMT or just in patients recovering from a recurrent C. diff infection. And there were no serious drug-related AEs. So based on that initial study, the FDA granted uh, series therapeutics and CIR-109 breakthrough therapy designation as really the study identified that CIR-109 provided a significant improvement over other therapies for recurrent C. diff. And that allows us a more rapid development pathway to get this therapy to the market and to the patients suffering from recurrent C. diff infection. And that's really our goal. Absolutely. And we just want to tell you, you know, congratulations on this study. Um, it is such a breakthrough. And, and for all the patients and families um, listening, I know that um, it'll have a major impact on them also. Um, Dr. Truxis, can you tell us about your phase two trial ICASPOR, uh, including the study design and primary and secondary endpoints? Sure, Nancy. So, Our phase two study is the study that is currently ongoing, and it is a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study of CIR-109, again, to prevent recurrence of of C. diff infection. And like the first study I told you about that was published in the Journal of Infectious Disease, patients entering our phase two study are on their third recurrence or greater of C. diff. Here, they are treated with 14 to 21 days of standard of care antibiotics for C. diff and have their diarrhea respond to the antibiotics. And they are then dosed with a single dose, that's four capsules, of either CIR-109 or placebo. And the primary efficacy endpoint is to evaluate the superiority of CIR-109 versus placebo in the prevention of recurrent C. diff up to eight weeks after dosing. And the primary safety endpoint is to really compare the safety and tolerability of CIR-109 compared to placebo in patients, again, with recurrent C. diff infection. We also have some secondary efficacy endpoints, including looking at the time to CDI recurrence in the two groups and the difference in CDI recurrence at 4, 12, and as late as 24 weeks after treatment. So this study design, I just want to contrast it with our first study, is a placebo control study. And this is the best design to assess the safety of CR109, as we'll be able to distinguish adverse events that happen that are either due to the disease, recurrent C. diff, or that may be due to CIR-109. And we use a placebo as a comparator to CIR-109 in this study because, as I think Dave mentioned, there are no FDA-approved therapies for recurrent C. diff infection 
So that's the right comparator for us. So the primary efficacy endpoint, again, is at eight weeks, as this is really the regulatory endpoint accepted by regulatory agencies like the FDA to show efficacy for recurrent C. diff infection. And that's based on the observation that most patients with a history of recurrent C. diff infection after they have their antibiotic treatment will recur in the first two weeks following that antibiotic treatment. Thank you so much, Dr. Truxis, for sharing all that information with us. And how many study subjects are participating in how many centers and how many of them are getting SIR-109? Good question, Nancy. So we, have, we are going to enroll 87 subjects, and we have 36 centers across the United States that are participating in this study. We randomize our subjects two to one so that two out of every three subjects get CR109. And we did that purposely, knowing what the results from the phase one study were to give patients a greater opportunity to have CR109 versus placebo in this study. Amazing. And can you also review the exploratory endpoints for our audience? Sure. So, you know, I think we try to take each one of our studies and use it to learn as much as possible about this disease because the only way you can figure out the best treatment is to really understand the disease. And so we are very grateful for our patients to participate in these studies for that reason. They are really advancing the understanding of this disease. And so some of the endpoints we look at are changes in the microbiome. As I mentioned from the phase one study, we want to look at what happens to the microbiome if we can compare the pre-dose versus post-dose microbiome. We're also looking at changes in the amount of antibiotic-resistant organisms such as uh, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, MRSA, vancomycin-resistant enterococci, VRE, and multidrug-resistant gram-negative organisms. Patients with C. diff, because they receive a lot of antibiotics, partly to treat their C. diff infection, are more likely to carry these antibiotic-resistant organisms in their gut. And we do know from our, phase one, from our first study, our phase one study, that we saw a decrease in colonization between the pretreatment uh, microbiome and the post-treatment microbiome. So after CR109 was dosed in these patients, they had a decrease in the amount of these antibiotic-resistant organisms. And we'd like to show that again in this phase two study. So some of the other things we're looking at are changes in important health outcomes that have been associated with C. diff. So as you know, um, mortality occurs in C. diff. 29,000 patients a year die in the United States based on a CDC study. We're looking at hospitalizations, both for C. diff and for all causes, and the length of stay in the hospital for those who are hospitalized. And finally, we wanted to look at what happens, what's the impact of CR109 versus placebo on the quality of life for patients with this disease. 
So we are collecting information on how the disease and the treatment impact the ability for patients to go about their normal activities, including social, recreational, and if they're working, whether the disease or the treatment has caused them to miss work or get back to work. Okay, that's wonderful. And Dr. Truxis, um, I think what we're going to do is take a brief in, um, break at this time, uh, pause for a moment, have a commercial break. And when we return, we can continue discussing the ecobiotics, a noble approach to recurrency difficile infections. Um, and you just, you know, we will continue when we get back and stay tuned and we will be right back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. To help support the C. diff foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more, and we thank our listeners for joining us today. We would like to welcome and reintroduce Dr. Michelle Truxis, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of Ceres Therapeutics Incorporated. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Truxis. Thanks, Nancy. Oh, we're just so glad that you're here today. And before the commercial, we had been discussing, you were discussing about um, the exploratory endpoints for audiences and the, um, the CER-109. Uh, and w- can you describe the major inclusion, exclusion criteria that were used for enrollment in this study? Yes. So this is, again, this is our ongoing phase two study in recurrent C. diff infection. And our inclusion, exclusion criteria include, we include all subjects 18 years of age or older. So we have no upper age limit. And not having that upper age limit, I think, is really important because 
some studies of FMT have have an upper age limit, and that's because delivery via colonoscopy, they need to exclude elderly patients because they are at risk of a complication from that procedure. So these patients, though, are really the ones who are at highest risk of C. diff infection, and that's why we decided to include all patients, no matter the age. So in order to enroll in the study, the patient could only have received 10 to 14 days of antibiotics for their most recent episode. So we do exclude patients who have received very long courses of antibiotics prior to enrollment as they may have already responded to antibiotics. And we really want to have a robust test of SEER 109 efficacy in our trial as we can learn just how effective it is. Now I'll say, remember that a patient coming into our study has had three episodes of C. diff in the last um, nine months. This last episode is the only one where we really regulate how long their antibiotic course could be. So if you're a patient listening to this, if in the past you've had really long courses of antibiotics and it didn't work, that this time when you're coming in, you want to talk to one of our sites limit your therapy to 10 to 14 days, and then you'll be able to be included in our study. We also exclude patients who have active inflammatory bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome who are having diarrhea because, as you know, the major symptom for patients with recurrent C. diff infection is diarrhea, so we would not be able to uh, recognize a recurrence in the trial if they already had diarrhea to begin with, and that would really make our evaluation difficult. We also exclude patients who are most immunocompromised, so those with very low white blood cell counts or neutrophil counts, or those who are being treated with chemotherapy or immunosuppression therapy. And so that's that's our major exclusion. So we do try to include all the patients that we can include. Well, that's very good to know, and um, I know our listeners really appreciate that information. Thanks, Dr. Truxis. And um, can you tell us what if a study subject has recurrent CDI after being dosed in the trial? So what we have designed, because, again, you know, we did the two-to-one active to placebo design to give the most uh, subjects the active drug because of our efficacy that we saw in our first study, Well, we also have a study that we pair with this phase two study, and that's called a rollover study. That's series 005. And what happens is if you recur in our phase two study and you are still eligible, you can get our drug in an open label design uh, by going into our 005 study. And then just to mention some other uh, plans that we have, we are planning a global phase three trial, which will include sites in the U.S., more sites than we have now, Canada, and Europe. And if a patient wants to participate in our clinical trial, I would just tell them to please go to either the website clinicaltrials.gov and search for series therapeutics. They can also go to our website, seriestherapeutics.com. And finally, Nancy, you have a link 
to our trials on your C. diff foundation website. So these are all the ways that um, patients can find our trials. And I just want to say thank you so much, Nancy, for linking in with us, for being an advocate for this recurrent C. diff patient population. I think as an ID physician, I'm an infectious disease physician myself, and I have treated many of these patients suffering from this disease. I understand how personal it is and how difficult it is to talk about. I think your C. diff foundation, the advocacy that you have for your patients is such an important public health um, effort and that it is such a great place for um, patients to understand their disease. And so I'd just really like to congratulate you on the great work you've done for patients. Thank you so much. And, you know, um, you know the old saying that I say all the time for us, Dr. Truxis, is none of us can do this alone and all of us can do this together. And that's exactly um, what it takes uh, to make all of this come true. And it's organizations and companies like you and your professions and your professionals working with you um, that give patients around the world hope. And, you know, it, we just are grateful for what you all do. And I can't thank you enough. And all of us here at C. Diff Foundation, at C. Diff Spores and More, we thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're going to close the show. Uh, it was a pleasure discussing ecobiotics, a noble approach to recurrent C. difficile infections with our guest, Dr. David Cook, Exec Executive Vice President of Research and Development and Chief Scientific Officer, and Dr. Michelle Truxis, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of Ceres Therapeutics Incorporated. Uh, we thank you both for being here today and joining us on C. diff spores and more global broadcasting network. Join us every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time as we discuss up-to-date infection information with topic experts and organizations focused on C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety and more. Thank you so much for joining us. This is, uh, I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, and until next week, have a great day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at cloroxhealthcare.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.